Hello, good evening, brothers and sisters. Pleasure to be with you from France. Traveled from on, on Thursday with Jeannie, who's here with me, my wife, um, and our seven uh, children. I couldn't put in my suitcases, but they're all big anyway. And I uh, only have the last little one, who's t only 20 years old, uh, finishing his uh, college studies, and he's at home in France, with uh, watching over Grandma and uh, one of my twins and his wife's came in our house uh, while we're away. And uh, so it's a pleasure to be back. It's been, I don't know how many years I was here before, maybe uh, well, eight years ago, apparently. So I'm glad to be back. I see that you're still going on good. And uh, if you could just switch to, to the other one, or, well, I know, forget it. We'll stay here. We're not going to waste time on, on technical stuff. And I'm going to, oh, yeah, I wanted to show you, well, that's uh, uh, frozen in time picture of seven of at least uh, 10 years ago <laughs> but that's not the one I wanted to wish to show you I wanted to show you just a few things um, from if you could uh, activate the uh, well I guess it doesn't work uh, haha fun it used to work it doesn't work anymore can you move it can you click okay click 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 okay this is Grenoble okay oh wow all right uh, let's see if I it works yeah works is it me? <laughs> is it me? Is it me that's moving or is it you that's clicking? It's me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's Grenoble. Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, I wanted to show you a few pictures. Okay, that's the college ministry that I was uh, uh, president of for about 30 years. Just turned the keys in uh, just a couple years to a new team. Just to let you know, if you want to find some, if you have some people who want to study even for a semester, it's a great opportunity to come to France and serve in this ministry uh, to college students, especially if you love apologetics. If you want to just join the team that there, there's about 120 kids that come in and out every week. There's a food bank distribution. There are Bible studies going on in French, in English, game nights. So you're more, more than welcome uh, if you want, if you have some people that want to come and help. That we are, You're very, very Welcome. On top of that, it branched off uh, in the last 30 years. We are now in seven cities. So there's a choice, Grenoble, Clermont-Ferrand, Lille, uh, Aix-en-Provence, and, and, and so on. So Chambéry, that's an old map because there's still some new places since then. So um, ask me if you want, uh, if you want about that. I, I wanted to at least show you, t tell you about that ministry, that, which I haven't talked much. So if you have College ministry at heart. It's a it's a great ministry, a great way to to serve in France with us. Oh, this this is a few pictures of uh, the church. Part of it, this building is our uh, the the assembly building. We've been there since 1911. Um, I mean, eight, uh, 2011. We're a multi-ethnic um, assembly now. Uh, about about 180 to 100 adults, uh, about 100 kids. So anyway, so that's it. I just, I don't want to say more about it. You can switch back to the, 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 what I, I wanted to share with you tonight. So tonight I'd like to share with you um, the characteristics of relational evangelism. What does it look like? Uh, very often when we talk about evangelism, people are blocked because they say, oh, it's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. I leave that to the big mouth, the sellers of fridges to the Eskimos, which is not me at all. And, uh, or you, you might even say, I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to, 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 to witness to people. I'd love to evangelize to, but I don't know how to do that. And, uh, I mean, I'd love so much to look, to resemble the person that led me to Christ, uh, uh, to this woman or that guy who explained the gospel so well, answered all my questions. He knew how to approach people. And I believed and it's wonderful, but I'm not wired like this person. He was so, or she was so extroverted and I'm such a shy person or an introverted person. I'm not very articulate. I don't have much, um, knowledge, etc. And we have all kinds of reasons that block us to be, uh, witnesses or we have caricatures of what an evangelist is. We think of Billy Graham or Johnny Araxantala or Nick Vujicic. Have you heard of a Nick Vujicic? Vujicic, the guy who has no arms, no, no legs and who speaks to crowds. He came to France to, and to, to young people. It's amazing. He's quite an evangelist, an amazing witness, uh, this guy. But I'm not like that. That's not me. Um, or sometimes people are even turned off by the term evangelism or witnessing because they think of caricatures of it, people that stink, you know. 
that turn uh, evangelism into a cash machine, you know, who preach the gospel of prosperity or, um, you know, they give such a poor testimony. Well, so whether the image is positive or negative, you're blocked. So it's something has to give. We need to come back to a simpler model. Uh, what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? Evangelism, witnessing, is not an activity. It flows from who you are. Jesus didn't say, you, 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 you shall do, you shall evangelize. Yes, in a sense, huh? go into all the world, etc. We know the verse. But he said, you shall be my witnesses. It's a, it's, it's a verb of identity. Tell me who you think you are and I'll tell you what you'll do. If you think that at the core of being, if you're being, you're a thief, well, I tell you what, you'll end up a thief and you're going to end up stealing and you'll end up in jail because that's, you really believe that's your call in life. That's who you really are. But if you believe you are a, a witness of Jesus Christ, if it's your identity, well, it's going to show. However, God has wired you up, you know, whether you're shy or extroverted, whether very smart or not so smart. It will show. You will do the job God has made you to be because you know you are a witness of Jesus Christ as you are. And the main idea I would like you to remember is this one. You don't have to become somebody you are not to be used by God as his messenger of good news to your friends, your neighbors, your family, people around you who don't know Christ. You don't have to become somebody you're not. Because sometimes we, we believe, oh, we're going to follow a class with Jean-Luc. He's going to teach us how to sell fridges to the Eskimos. Because it's not very natural to sell fridges to the Eskimos. But after we talk with Jean-Luc, we listen to Jean-Luc. He's going to tell us all the techniques and all the recipes. One, two, three, four. Boom, sell. And we score. No. No. Jesus had as many methods as people that he met. We have to follow the Holy Spirit. Listen to the people, love the people, answer the questions people have. And maybe it's not the first question they ask you that is the most important one. And you may not want to go very deeply in answering that question because it might be just a, a rabbit trail that will lead you nowhere. Because the, the real question will come maybe in the next 30 minutes. But if you know how to listen, you will spot it. Because the Lord, the Lord will show you, that's it. Go there, tell Tell him, tell her what the Lord has done in your life and how you answered this question for you. You'll have his ear. And since you, you'll have been listening, you'll know how to answer. You see? So you don't have to become somebody you are not to be used by the Holy Spirit as a witness for Jesus Christ. God knew exactly what he did when he made you the way you are, you know, the, the personality you have, the, uh, the abilities you have. You, we can all progress, but... He made no mistake. And God needs somebody exactly, somebody like you to reach somebody that only you will ever be able to reach. And nobody else. Not the elders, not the missionaries, not the evangelist, not those who have the gift. No, you, only you. That's comforting. Thank you, Lord. You, you, you really want to use me? Yes, yes. So what are the characteristics of relational evangelism? Let's move on. Uh, we'll see seven characteristics. The first one is, um, uh, we'll say, of, uh, of relational evangelism, that it is authentic. Now, what is, what, what is the meaning of authentic? What is the, the opposite? Well, you have it here. Uh, I've taken that, that fake watch, you know, that people try to peddle you on when you, you, you stroll by the beach in France. You have all those people selling all kinds of watches. Uh, uh, a Rolex for, hey, 10, 10 bucks can beat that. You know? Well, it's a fake, right? Well, we want to be authentic people. We want not to be just uh, a shop window. You know, real good, looks good from the outside. But when you go inside the store, there's nothing behind on the shelves. Nothing. We want to be authentic. We don't want to be artificial, fabricated. We want to be who God made us, uh, uh, made you to be. And um, uh, there's somebody once that said, uh, what you are speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? 
I mean, it's nice you want me to come to your church. You want me to come to that um, gospel meeting, whatever that is. I don't know this expression. What do you mean by gospel meeting? What is this, this thing? Uh, um, but um, you were not very nice to me last week or when I parked my, my car a bit on your, on your grass. Boy, did you give me a, a rap, you know? Uh, not very gracious person. And now you're all nice, you know, oh, come, you know, want to be the best friends ever. I mean, how are we in private and in public? Is there somebody, is there something in behind the shop window? You know, that's, that's what we mean. And uh, uh, you have this text in John 15, verse 5. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. There we go. Uh, which says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes. And if you look at a vine, here it's giving beautiful grapes. De uh, raisin. Uh, what do you call that? It's not grapefruit. It's, uh, what you, what's the word in Grapes, yes. I'm, I'm getting mixed up between French and English here. Yes. And uh, it, it grows because this is the nature of the vine, to give grapes. There's a sap that flows into its branches that comes from uh, the, uh, uh, the main, um, uh, the, the main uh, f- foot of the, of, of, the, of the vine, which uh, brings the life and brings the fruit. Sometimes we refer to that fruit to the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the, the character of Jesus, loving, patience, kindness, etc., etc. Yes. So basically, if you're filled with Jesus Christ, all those fruit, all the character of Jesus will show. You know? So it will be, you'll be not an artificial person. You won't be a fake, but you'll be an authentic person, full of Jesus Christ. And what you do when you evangelize, when you witness, will be as natural to you as breathing air. Or for a, a, a vine to give, to give uh, uh, grapes. That's natural. You know? It's authentic. So, another question, that we, another characteristic we could, we could say is that the uh, relational evangelism is natural. Uh, I love this cartoon of uh, uh, the far side. Uh, you see this uh, penguin. He's on a uh, in, in in the Arctic. There are millions of them, and there's one there that's singing, "I got to be me." Oh, I just got to be me. You know, he was having a complex of being look, looking like a bit too much like everybody else. You know, and sometimes we want to we want to force ourselves to be somebody who we are not. We keep on comparing ourselves to somebody we are not. We have complexes because we are not very um, eloquent or because we don't have much theological uh, knowledge. Uh, I mean, how much do you think the the slave of the the first century uh, of, of the first century had of Greek and Hebrew of the New Testament to be able to evangelize, to be able to witness? Close to zero. All that he knew was through songs and hymns that he had memorized the, the words that the, he had been taught. And that's how the gospel spread around the Mediterranean in one generation. That's quite an amazing thing, isn't it? They had the life of Christ in them and it spread. We don't even know if they knew how to read. I mean, in, in the world, people, where, where pe- the Christian is growing fast, people don't even know how to read. So that's comforting. That's comforting. Are you natural? Are you the person? Do you believe you are the way God made you and you don't have to be somebody you are not? So stop comparing yourselves. And you have this, this, um, this text here where Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Um, you are who you are by the grace of God. So why, why do you compare yourself to the evangelist? 
those who know how to bring people to Christ in, in droves. No. Be yourself. You are who you are because God wanted you to be who you are. With the gifts you, ha you have, with the, the skills you have. I mean, you can, you, know, you can always learn new skills. You can make progress in your theological uh, knowledge in the Bible and how to, uh, to evangelize. What, what is the message of the gospel? How do you speak to a Muslim about the gospel? What's important for, for him or for her? Uh, yeah, you can make progress. No problem. It's good. You have to do that. You have to, we want to work hard. We want to be the, the best uh, we can be for Christ's kingdom. But we don't want to uh, have complexes and keep on comparing ourselves to somebody who are not. All right? So, yes, evangelism through relationship is natural. Huh? You don't have to become somebody you are not to be used by God as his messenger of good news. A third characteristic is this one. Evangelism through relationships is personal. All right, what do we mean? Well, I like this little saying. God did not send a flyer, he sent a man. That is not interesting. Huh? I mean, I have nothing against flyers. I mean, who, who here has come through to the gospel and to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because he, he first was uh, encountered by somebody who gave him or her a flyer or he found a flyer on a table? Is there somebody here? There's always a few in general in the crowd. Are there? No? Well, it's not the majority, apparently. Okay? Nothing wrong about flyers. You know that flyers in mailboxes in France, uh, flyers, any kind of flyer, advertisings, is the media that's the most read. I, I suspect it's the same in America. And you know why? It's because it's in your privacy of your home. It's in your mailbox. You could either throw it or read it. And since you have no pressure to read it, very often you will maybe just check it out. No pressure. Now, let's think about it. The same tract um, that was printed and you, you, you stand on the corner uh, at, the, at, the, at the bus station or the subway station and you distribute them 100 an hour, what's the percentage um, pr probability that this tract will end up in a garbage can? Would you say it's more like... 5%, 10%, 90%, what would you say? A large percentage. You're right. Now, take the same tract and you give it to your coworker that you see every day. What's the percent, what's the, the chance that he or she will read it? High or low? Pretty much higher. Why? What's the difference? It's the same. It's a poor track or a good track, but it, it will be read. Whereas the same one will be thrown in the garbage can in droves. What's the difference? The difference is there is a connection between you and the person you gave it to. There's a question of credibility and trust that was built up as time went by. Your coworker has seen you, has seen you working and talking and behaving with other employees. He saw last time that when you could have basically made him look or her look bad in the eye of your boss. You didn't, and yet you could have because he or she would not have hesitated to put your head under water just to make herself look better. You didn't do that. Why didn't you do that? Huh. Okay. Well, I guess what? When you do that, when you're the gracious person that God wants you to be, or when you are this person with integrity and kindness and love, well, you stand out in this world. You're just acting as the light of the world that God wants you to be. Jesus said, you, you shall be the light of the world. And that's how one of the ways we are. And so when you come with your tract, the same tract that goes in a garbage can at the subway station, it will be read. Hey, read about this. Tell me what you think. We'll talk about it next time. Huh? That's about a question you asked me uh, last time. This tract talks about this subject. Oh, well, well, I'll read it. We'll talk about it. Okay. You see? Now, it is personal in the sense that the more personal it is, the better it is. Google understands that very well. The most impersonal way of uh, communication, of communicating, would be probably a tract uh, on the street, right? It's very impersonal. Because 
It's basically, it will reach the same track. It will reach a thousand of people that it's, it's not being tailored for a specific person. Whereas Google, when you see something uh, coming, uh, you know, a little ad popping up on your computer, it's because they've been studying your email and the things that you've been watching on your uh, your browser, and they know what's what's of interest to you. Well, they target you specifically in your interest. And basically, they understand this principle very well. The more personal you are with the message, the more efficient you are. Okay? And that's why I was telling you earlier, if you study how Jesus went about in, his, uh, in, his, uh, in talking with people, I mean, he had as many methods as he had people. He personalized the message. He knew who he was talking to. All right? So it's personal. We want to be personal. Uh, <clears throat> Fourth characteristic of relational uh, evangelism through relationships. We'll say it's verbal. Yes. Um, somebody said, oh, me? I, I don't talk, I act. Have you heard that, that expression sometime? It's a very spiritual expression, right? Oh, no, I, I don't talk, I, I act, meaning I'm a good Christian, I, I serve, I'm polite, I'm the best of neighbors, I'm a, my Christianity is seen in my actions. And that's great. But sometimes, these people make too much of an opposition between our actions and our words. And it's incomplete. Why is it incomplete? It's like a, a, an airplane. If it doesn't have two wings, words and actions, it won't fly. I mean, it's true that sometimes some people are just the contrary. They talk, 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 but they don't walk the talk, as we say. There's nothing... In the, in storage behind the shop window. It's just big talk. And it shows. There's a divorce. And maybe they should reform the way they behave first and start acting as, as a Christian. And in, in accordance to what they say, they believe. Rather than the contrary, if they want to be believed. Right? Nonetheless, even if you are a great servant, a great, um, if, if you have the best, uh, you have the best character as a Christian, you want, you want to build relationships with people in actions and in words. And, we have this famous uh, verse here, Roman 10, verse 14, that says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, why, why, do I, why, why did I pick this, this text? Well, that's an interesting thing. To declare with your mouth has to do with what's public. It's heard. You know, it's, 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 I don't have to guess what you believe. You just told me. You told me you're a disciple of Jesus. You told me you believe in Jesus Christ, that you're a Christian. And you, you told me that you have um, what makes you tick. All right, how Christ changed your life. But believe in your heart. Oh, that's very private. That's something that is not seen. The seen and the unseen. The, what is seen, what is heard, flows out from the heart. What the Lord has made in your heart. Right? For it is with your heart that you believe and are declared just, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, this generation is pushing us to shut our mouth. Excuse, excuse me for the expression. I don't know if it's very polite, but I just said it. Uh, some, sometimes I'm just French, you know. Uh, they say, it's good for you to be a Christian, but in your churches, in your family, in your private life, uh, confine your Christianity to your private bubble. But when you go out on Monday morning, you take the, the Christian mantle, the Christian vest, you hang it at the entrance of the company, of the business, and there you're in real life. And you act just like any pagan would. Is this our conception, conception of what a Christian is, what a disciple of Jesus is, who is divorcing uh, his, his actions from his words or what he believes? No. We, be, we don't want to be schizophrenic. 
We can't. Postmodernity has a, a, is pushing us to privatize our faith. And it's a big pressure uh, that's spelled out day in, day out, um, and goes sometime way beyond events what is legal. Oh, you're not allowed to talk about your faith here. Oh, yeah? How about freedom of speech? Have you heard about this? Okay, we don't want to go out, go about in our relationship like this, just pushing the law in the face of people. That's not a very good way to go about. But sometimes it's good that there are some uh, some Christians whose ministry is just to remind society the law. We're a free country. We still have the right to say what we believe, and there are places where we can say that without creating trouble to the public order. All right, and we don't want to we don't want to retreat in our bubble like. Because it's not politically correct to say what you believe outside your home or outside your church. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to be politically incorrect as wisely as I can be, but I will. We're bound to be. And I will speak. Just even to say why I do what I do, why I behave the way I behave, that might be kind of mysterious sometimes to them. And at some point, I will tell you, I'll tell you why I do what I do. Oh, I'll tell you why I don't, why I don't. I'll tell you why I I won't lie when you ask me or expect me to lie just to save your day. Because I'm a Christian, because I I belong to Christ. And I've, he's established, he's the truth. He wants us to live in truth. He wants us to live in uh, trust with one another. And I, I cannot go that way. Oh, I understand now. I heard something. See? Words and action. Verse 14, And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Of course, here we are referring to probably the missionaries, you know, people who send, who have a ministry of preaching the word. But, I mean, we can also reduce it to the to everyday life. Uh, you don't have to give uh, an expository sermon with Greek and Hebrew notes to your next-door neighbor when you talk about Christ. But they need to hear. They need, at some point, they need to hear what Christ has done in your life and, and how he's changed your life. And so let's remember that. Evangelism through relationships is a process. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think in terms of activity. We, we think in terms, not in terms of process, but in terms of punch events. What do I mean? Um, I remember when we started uh, in the days of my dad, when there were evangelists that would come in town or in a village. There were no, there were no movies. There was no internet, barely a few TVs, TV sets in color. They were not even there yet. Not much activity. Uh, not not much uh, uh, entertainment. And when you would come with a tent, open the tent in the middle of the village, made a little bit of noise, and had ten days in a row preaching the gospel with a few songs and made a call and people would get saved. That's how it happened. But you know that today it's not the way it happens. If you did the same today, who comes out? People, is everybody's on his cell phone or on his screen. There's a, a thousand possibilities for them to stay home or to go to the movies or to go to the restaurant. I mean, you're just a, a nobody. And um, it's hard to, to understand. And so very often we used to base our evangelism on, a, on an event. Oh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, it's been a while since we haven't evangelized as an assembly, right? Okay, what can we do? Oh, yeah, we're going to, we know this evangelist. We're going to call him. He's going to preach the gospel and get people saved. So we'll invite people to come, our friends, and and they'll come, and the evangelist is going to do his job, and preach the gospel, and people get saved. He comes. Who does he preach to? To the choir. Because it's only the Christians who are there. Nobody has invited friends, or maybe they did on the last minute. Nobody came. We wonder why. Was there prayer ahead of time? Was there a relationship? built uh, uh, with neighbors uh, during the year. Um, and we all counted on this event with the evangelist. Or we counted on 
this big event, we're going to show a movie or we're going to show, uh, you know, G, um, G, uh, what, what, the, the testimony of, of um, Lee Strobel. What's the name of the movie? in uh, The Case for Christ. Yeah, we just showed it last week, last Saturday uh, in our assembly. Um, okay, that's an event. It has some cost. Or sometimes we do a, a gospel um, concert in France. The gospel, gospel music is very popular. Uh, so we, we always fill in. I have couple hundred people that would show up, and sometimes even more. But, okay, so yeah, that was great. There were lots of people that came. All right. And, and then, well, we don't have money anymore to have a, another gospel concert. It's expensive. I guess we'll do it next year again. Hey, don't you think there's something missing? There's a problem here. We've based our evangelism on punch events. One-time events. We forget that evangelism is a primarily often a process. When you see somebody coming to Christ, you, we forget that the Lord has been working ahead of us. And He has used many people. Sometimes it's you, sometimes it's not you, sometimes it's a number of things, sometimes it's circumstances in their life, all the Christians, things they've heard, things they've, they've read, things they've watched on TV or other movies that has talked to them. God used those things to talk to them. And you come at the end of the line and you see... Get saved. They say, oh great, I must, I must have the method that works. Well, you forget all that the Holy Spirit has done before you. All, all that others Christians have done before you. You see? That was a process and you didn't see it. The process goes through A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you arrive at destination, right? And unfortunately, in France, we, sometimes in some assemblies and some churches, we, we, we go, we go like this, you know. This is Obelix and Asterix. They're two famous French characters. Uh, very popular. They live in a small village in the days of the Romans. And, uh, their, it's called, their village is here, somewhere in Normandy. And around their village, there is all those camps of Romans that are trying to invade them. But they are resisting. They are resisting the invaders. Alright? So once in a while, uh, they're, they're invincible because they have a druid that gives them magic potion that makes them invincible. And so sometimes they say they get bored. Those, uh, those, uh, those Gales guys. So, oh, it's been a while since we haven't fought with the, the Romans. Oh yeah. Let's call the Druid. He's gonna make the, the magic potion. We'll go out, drink it, punch the Romans, and collect their helmets, and come back, and have a big feast, and have fun. And that's it. And retreat behind our walls as a village. And that's very often how churches behave. With like a small village, small community with tall walls around it. To protect us from the invaders. The world is about to conquer us. We're, we have to be afraid of the outside world. You know? And we, we want to separate from sin. Yes? That's called sanctification. It's a process. We want to be, we want to separate ourselves from the world. Yes? But guess what? The world accommodates itself very well of the pews of your and my church. Right? You could even go into monasteries thinking, oh there, at least I'll I'll lead a holy life. But guess what? The world follows you. It's in your heart. And you'll have to fight it there to the end because sin inhabits our whole nature. Right? And unfortunately, in our desire for holiness from not being like the world, we end up separating ourselves from people. We build walls. I even knew a church. You physically had to know the secret code to punch in on the on the lock of the door to get in. How welcoming is that? <laughs> Talk about a church for the for the elect, right? <laughs> Boy, for sure. You, if you don't have the code, you're not in the book of life, <laughs> right? But what is this? Let's remember, Jesus was the most open person that walked the face of the earth. He was not afraid of sinners. He was eating with sinners to the point that the Pharisees, oh, look, your master, he's, he's eating with the collaborators of the Romans, with people who have lead a bad life. You know? And he got criticism. But he was not afraid. You know why? Because it's not people that defile us. It's sin. It's sin. We don't be afraid of people. We want to be as warm and open to people. We want to create spaces and environment for our friends to as a community, welcome them so that they could journey with us for a while to at least get the opportunity to start to understand what the gospel is all about. Do those 
space exist in our programs, in our in in the way of our assembly? That's a good question we have to ask ourselves. Otherwise, how will they know? And what one thing I've noticed these these past twenty thirty years, um, and this this expression I've, I've 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 heard it once and it struck me and I found it so true. When I started our ministry, we'd go to door to door to door on campus, and uh, the basic atheist guy would uh, would say, "Huh, you say Jesus Christ is risen, huh? Is resurrected? Huh? Prove it." Well, I would come out, get out all my good arguments that I'd learned from Josh McDowell more than a carpenter. Have you heard that book? You know, all the good rational arguments, and I stated my case. People would get saved. Oh yeah, I'm convinced now. Okay, where do I sign? I exaggerate. But they would get saved. So, and the, the, the mode of incorporation of, of the believers, of the new believers that day is, um, you have to believe in order to belong. First believe, then belong. Well, guess what? In the past few years, with, in, in the postmodern generation, I've seen this, this process being reversed. They, basically, they say, who are you? You say you're a Christian? Oh, yeah. I've been observing you for a while now at work or in your neighborhood. You're my neighbor. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of curious. You invite me to your church? Yeah, sure. I'll come. And I'm going to try to... I'm going to come back again and again and again. And you say, don't you want to make a decision for Christ? I mean, you've heard the gospel. But they, they last. They're there. They're so long sometimes to, to become Christians. It takes so long. I, I remember Didier and Francoise. Took them a couple years to come to Christ, and it's interesting. They have all those questions as they are among you. Yeah, but why do you say that? And why do you believe that? And why do you act that way? Why do you do that? And why don't you do that? And they are there. Okay, they, they come to church. They come to events. They come to some Bible studies, and they're welcome. And uh, someday they say, instead of saying you say or you believe that, and uh, one day they say. We think that, we believe that, they go from you to we. And they say, man, what happened? Well, they've, they've turned to Christ. And it's not very spectacular. Not very spectacular, very quietly. Basically, they wanted to check out if you were for real. If there was something behind the shop windows, I've said. And they, it looks like for those people, for more and more people these days, it's um, it's not... First believe, then belong. It's first show me you accept me, you welcome me, you love me, you want to be friend with me, you want to give me time to understand what you're about, what you're saying, and uh, you, you uh, propose me what you believe, it's okay. Don't impose it on me. If I feel like you're imposing it on me, I'll, I'll run away. That's postmodernity, which basically declared there's no absolute truth. There are only... Islands of truth here and there. There's my truth. There's your truth. But there's no more a global truth out there. So basically we are in a mode of proposing truth. Demonstrated truth. Lived out truth. But for that to happen, they have to, to see you. They have to see it happen in your family. They have to see it lived out in, in the body of Christ. Are there spaces where they can feel that welcome regularly? That's a good question. Process. Process. It's a process. And very often, most of our evangelism is, is done on a, an event. We have to switch. Not that events are not good, but they are not enough. What comes after the event? What's before the event? John 4. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. It's interesting that Jesus was saying the field ready for harvest when the disciples didn't see it that way. Sometimes we need to change our glasses, friends. You know, say, oh no, he will never come to Christ. He's not the type. He's not kind enough, not good enough. He's too dishonest. Hey, come on. Do people have to be Christian before we can accept them among us? Behave like Christians without being one? What does that mean? No. It doesn't square out. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps. is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you have reaped the benefits of their labor. How many stages in this process, at least, you see here? It's, it's grandly uh, summarized for in agriculture. But at least, how many do you see? How many stages in this process? You see it? They're spelled out. There are two. Sowing, ripping. A sower, a reaper. We know that in agriculture it's much more complex and you'd better respect the process because if you don't, there's nothing in the end. If you want to harvest before you sow, it won't work out. I've tried many times to cultivate uh, fruit and veggies in my garden. It was a miserable harvest or no harvest at all because I had probably transgressed the process. The process the farmers know very well. There are days when you sow, there are days you don't. There are times to do this, time to do that. You have to prepare the field. You, and don't, but you better respect it. They know how it works. They respect the Lord's creation, the way He operates, because they don't live on Mars. They live on Earth. And sometimes I believe we, 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 we evangelize, or we want to evangelize as a body or as believers, like if we lived on Mars. We're evangelizing Martians. We don't respect the process of earthlings that are around us, and we expect that they're going to believe without, by violating all the processes of interpersonal relationships. We want them to sign. Believe, then you'll belong. No, no, it's going too slow. You see what I mean? That talks to us. There is, there is a process in agriculture, and there is a process in, also that it, in p- people's lives. It's God that put it there. We want to discover it, and respect it. When you want to evangelize teenagers or sportsmen, you don't go probably not about the same way to reach them out. And to I, I was on, on the football field uh, last last night talking to to uh, footballers, to soccer players. Well, I'm not a soccer player, but I, had, I I did my work to go and talk about some French soccer players at least to to have some common point with them to start, uh, you know, with them to talk a bit same language and then move on into the gospel. You see? There's a process. It needs to be known and respected. Otherwise, we don't reap nothing. Alright? So let's respect the process. Evangelism through relationship is a task, uh, uh, is a question of teamwork rather than a task for the pros. It's, it's for everybody. Don't count on the missionaries. Don't count on the elders. Don't count on the big mouth. Don't count on those who have a super biblical knowledge. Don't count on the best communicators. No. Witnessing is for everybody. Because you shall be my witnesses. Right? It's everybody. And it's a teamwork. I remember when I, I, I was taught how to evangelize. The first time I, I was taught, I was taught a method. The four spiritual laws. Have you heard about the four spiritual laws? by Agape Ministries or Campus for Christ. All right, it was like when I was, I was maybe 14, 15, 15 years old, and I had those little booklets. Okay, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, or 8 to 10, and uh, the last one, what was it? Or John 3, 16, something like this. Anyway, and then you had the four stages, and you go, you read, and then you propose the prayer, the sinner's prayer, and that was it. And guess what? People got saved. We were crazy enough to believe it. And it worked. Not always, but it, it worked some. Right? Okay. Uh, but in that method of evangelism, basically what we're told is that you've got one weapon. It's, the, it's this little we- booklet called the four spiritual. And that's how we evangelize. That's how we witness about Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I, I guess somebody said that if you only have a hammer, everybody else looks like a nail. Right? <laughs> Why not? We forget sometimes that we're not alone when we witness. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm, I suspect many of the methods that were popular in evangelicalism were very centered on the individual because we're individualists uh, at, at the core as Westerners. We think um, my capacity, my skills, what I've accomplished... Um, okay, yeah, today, yesterday, this week, I, I read the four spiritual laws to ten people. Great. And one became a Christian. Wonderful. 
great. I'm like this cowboy, Lucky Luke. That's his name. It's a French comic, French, uh, a French uh, character in, in France. Um, he, um, uh, when he, he made a score in a duel, you know, he would, he, he would put a notch on, the, on, on the, the cross of his gun, the, the, the handle of his gun, you know. And I, I believe sometimes we were taught to evangelize that way, you know. And we forget. I mean, many people don't, are intimidated by, oh man, you equip me with a, a tool that's kind of artificial. I don't see myself doing this. And that's the, this the only way, really? We evangelize? This is the only way we, we go about? Yeah, go for it. And you're alone. We want to remember that we're part of the body of Christ. And evangelizing is not just a one-man show. It's everybody's job. And together, we are often stronger than alone. And that's why sometimes it's good to go, uh, to, 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 to be together. It's no, no matter why Jesus, pe Jesus sent people two by twos. Or um, I, I, I remember somebody who came to the assembly once, a girl, first time she set foot in a, an evangelical church, said, I didn't understand a thing of what was going on during your service. I saw people getting up, going, because mid-service mid people would go and, and to help uh, with the kids, you know, and... In the, in the Sunday school. I said, I didn't understand a thing. But boy, the music, the songs, oh, that really talked to me. And I wanted to come back. She felt something among us that she could not describe. Actually, she felt the Lord. The Lord among His people. So let's not neglect the fact that we can also evangelize together. And we need to be creative. Maybe starting outreach Bible studies in your homes, for instance, not in a building. Because, why, you want me to come into your church? I'd rather come into your living room and you serve me an aperitif. That's good, you know, and uh, have a little uh, um, food with you and talk. Yeah, that, why not? I'll come for the first time to check you out and see. Maybe I'll come next. Uh, I'll come again. All right? But even that, that's the hardest thing to do when you think about it. What? You're telling me? Okay. Now, I understand. You, you want us to, to remember we, we can, even if I don't feel too gifted, at least I can invite a friend and somebody who has, who has the minimum knowledge and a good animation and knows how to animate a, an, an outreach Bible study will do that. And, okay, that helps. I'll, I'll invite my friend. But it's really hard in a sense. Basically, what I'm telling you is you're asking me to ask one of my friends who don't, never goes to church to come if you do the, the outreach Bible study here, to a church when he never goes to church with people that are your friends who will bring their friends who are not Christians that I don't know. Man, you're asking me a lot, you know. It's, it takes a lot of trust for those people to come. So there again, we have to question our process. I mean, why would they come if I've not been an authentic Christian if, uh, if I've demonstrated in, in words and action um, that what is a, a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and if they haven't already met uh, in social events other Christians in at your birthday party or, I don't know, uh, or to a, a social event that the, the, the assembly organized and they met other pe people, oh, that was a good evening. I mean, oh, I, people didn't come and pounded me with a bunch of verses on the head. Uh, at, at the end of the, uh, of the event. It was just nice, you know, an event for the kids or for uh, Christmas carols. That was great. Uh, I'm no longer afraid of your, of your tribe. I'll, yeah, I can come into your living room. Okay, I'll come the first time. Just the first time. Okay? Process. Together. Team. Not alone. Sometimes we want to succeed alone when God wanted us to succeed together and we deprive ourselves of the help of the body of Christ, the difference, the complementarity that comes from other, other people uh, to do the job. And here you have it. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters it is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarding according to their own labor. 
for we are co-workers in God's service, your God's field, God's building. How many, how many people teamed up here? Do you see them? That was Paul, that was Apollos, and that was God. Quite a team. That's reassuring. That encourages me. I'm not alone. You are not alone. Let's be creative to learn to witness together. Last characteristic. Do I have time? I'm done? It's finished. Okay, well, that's the line. I mentioned it. Evangelism through relationship is a question of attitude. Now you've understood that first. And a question of love. Who's first in your life? If Christ is first, people will be first. If Christ is first in your life, people will be important in your life. And you'll be open to them. And you will see them not just as people that God has put on your way so that they will listen to your testimony that is supposed to be so interesting that they have to put up with you for three hours with words that they don't understand. When they could have, you could have said it in three minutes. But you were not too interested in what they thought about it anyway. And you didn't notice after 30 seconds that they had a question. No. Because you were interested about saying your message. Your testimony. No. If Christ is first, we'll love people. People will be at the center of our preoccupation, our prayers. And wanting them to be, to be, to be saved. Who's first in your life? Huh? That's a question. And... It doesn't work anymore, but it's okay. <laughs> Unless if you can switch the last uh, the last uh, slide, can you can you punch a key? Yes. In your heart, uh, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But first, uh, you have to revere Christ in as Lord in your heart. He's first. Then. Do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Your actions will speak for you. And if you're filled with Christ, remember, love is not self-seeking. It's not centered on ourselves. It's centered on other people. Let's remember that. Okay? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Because we're not alone in this. You're with us. You promised to be with us to the end of the, the world. Thank you for also for our precious brothers and sisters that we can share Christ with informally in our homes or at the assembly or the activities, the programs, whatever. Thank you, Lord, for the people you will save again using us. We don't deserve it. Thanks for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.